day. Amen. Amen. I challenge you this week, if you go online at all, I was very just, just moved by, you would watch a church service in the Ukraine, and they're singing like we are, and you wouldn't even know anything is going around in their country, but they are just praising their God. It's just amazing. I challenge you to do that. It just brings blessing to your heart. Well, today we're going to close our sermon series called Faceless. This, if you're joining us, we're glad you're here, you're visiting, but we're finishing up a character study on John the Baptist, Faceless. Again, the whole purpose for that word faceless is that John the Baptist did not want any glory for himself. He was pointing people to Jesus. So as we close in our sermon series, we see how God used John and his redemptive plan in history to accomplish what John was set out to do, and that was to be the preparer of Jesus Christ. So as we do before every message, let's just kind of run through, I'll kind of bring those that are visiting up to speed of what we've learned so far in this sermon series of John the Baptist's character study. Of course, we know that he was the forerunner of the Messiah. We see that in Malachi chapter 3 and 4. John the Baptist was prophesied to be the prophet, to be the pointer to Jesus. The first message, if you remember, we learned a little bit about his lineage. We learned about his mom and dad, Elizabeth and Zechariah. Scripture tells us that they were godly, they were blameless. And it's because of their spirituality and their persistency of prayer during a time of impossibility, of not being able to have kids because they were barren, God blessed them. God heard their prayer and gave them John the Baptist. Well, last week Mark uh, shared the third section of, of the life of John the Baptist, and his title was, Jesus was not the Jesus that they wanted. See, John was pointing people to Jesus, but the Jews and the religious leaders, now this isn't our Messiah. They wanted a king to come and overthrow the Roman government. And so they, they would get excited when they seen Jesus overthrowing the money changers in the temple. And they're like, yeah, he's going to do that to the Roman government. Well, that's not the Messiah. That's what, not what he was going to do at that moment. See, they were looking for the Isaiah 9 Messiah. The wonderful counsel, the Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father. And yes, that Messiah is coming, and it's, we're waiting for that Messiah to come too in the Millennial Kingdom. But no, the Messiah of Isaiah 53 was coming at that time. The one who would bear the sins of humanity, would die on the cross for our sins. Well, John pointed out last week that John the Baptist, his, 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 his title and his, his, his act as prophet was very interesting. Here's a prophet who actually fulfilled prophecy. Malachi 3 and 4. They said that I was going to come. John showed up on the scene. The second thing we learn is that John didn't say, hey, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. He got to say, Jesus is here. Jesus is right here in our presence. Which leads us to our third interesting fact about John. John is the only prophet who was able to talk with Jesus, to be with Jesus, and to minister to Jesus. What an un unbelievable role John had in God's plan. So as we close this morning with this character study of John the Baptist, I think there's one word I want us to take with us this morning, and that is the word humility. The word humility. The Bible is very clear on the benefits of being humble, and also very clear on the consequence of pride. If we look at Proverbs 11.2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humble is wisdom. Peter tells it this way in 1 Peter 5, 6. He says, humble yourselves, therefore under the mighty hand of God, 
so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. As a family, we love music, of course, and so we love watching the beginning sections of these reality shows dealing with music, like American Idol, X Factor, The Voice. You see a lot of pride in those shows, don't you? And of course, the, 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 the judge that everyone hates is Simon Cowell, right? Right? He's the guy that, he's so rude, he just tells the truth. And I love these, these, these ladies or these men get up there and they just do a horrible job. And they'll look at Simon like, you don't know what you're talking about. My grandmother says I can sing. My dad says I can sing. Of course, I love their reaction. But it's, in, in that setting, you can see pride just breaking forth out of people. And you're like, what in the world? But we are no different in many areas of our life. See, pride is the cancer of the human soul. There is nothing more destructive than pride. You think of everything that leads to sin, other sins, it's pride. I want this. I need this. This makes me feel good. What's that dealing with? You. It's pride. Think of it. Lucifer, Isaiah 14. Lucifer fell from heaven. Why? Because he wanted to be better than God. We think of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in Genesis chapter 3. They wanted to know more. They wanted to know more knowledge because that's what Satan was kind of distracting them. Listen, if you eat of this fruit, this is what's going to happen. Well, you think of also King Saul in 1 Samuel. The pride that he had in leading the nation of Israel, which led to his demise. See, pride destroys friendships. It destroys marriages. It destroys work relations. It destroys church ministries. Pride. As we look at the life of John the Baptist, no doubt we see many of the stories that we've learned the past four weeks. John could have been tempted to be very proud. In fact, Matthew eleven eleven, what Jesus said about him, he was the goat. Remember, that's that statement going around sports, the greatest of all time. What do you say about John? John is the greatest man born of woman. And we talked. Imagine being, that being said about us. Ooh, wow, I'm the greatest. Jesus said it. I'm the greatest. See, John had a successful ministry. Think about it with me for a minute. People all over Jerusalem and Judea came out to find out who this guy was. This, this long-haired, animal skin wearing, walking around with a staff, eating a very unique diet of locusts and honey. People were finding out who this John was. They wanted to be part of what he was doing. He was preaching repentance and baptizing. And we even know the scripture tells us that now Jesus' ministry is starting to gain traction. Starting to get followers. John was not a perfect man. Mark made that very clear last week. He was human. There's no deity in John the Baptist. He's not a saint. He was a human like you and me. And you wonder... I wonder what he was thinking when these things were said about him. Will there be pride? Will there be arrogance? Will there be humility? We'll see our text this morning. We're going to turn to John chapter 3, verses 20, start at verse 22. Give you an overview here. John's disciples, or we'll call him his staff members in his ministry, were having a little bit of a, an issue with Jesus' ministry here. So let's begin reading at verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing in Anon near Salim because water there was plentiful, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had yet not been put in prison. Side note for us, if you highlight or underline that phrase, because water was plentiful there. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about baptism? 
We talked about here at Faith Bible, we believe baptism, that word in the Greek means to be immersed, dunked under. This is another just a, a nugget of truth for us as we look at church history, as we look at what was, what, when baptisms happened, there was plenty of water. So we would believe, why do you need plenty of water? Because you're going to dunk a lot of people, right? By immersion. So just a quick side note as you come, you can underline that and say, hey, baptism, immersion, it's uh, kind of what we believe here. As we start in our text this morning, John the Apostle is telling us that John the Baptist, too many Johns going on here, they were both baptizing at the same time. Two ministries happening side by side. You may say, so what? Well, I want us to keep this in mind. Because I want us to put it into a, a reality check for us in the area of church, in the area of ministry. We have problems with ministries. And we have problems with our pride when someone succeeds us. And I want us to put us in John's disciples, his staff. I want you to put their minds. Listen, there's another ministry that's happening. It's gaining traction. It is getting bigger than John the Baptist's ministry. And this is their mindset here. What goes through our mind when someone gets all the attention in ministry or at your job or at your school? What do you do? I'll tell you what I do. I'm going to figure out how to beat him. I'm going to get more numbers. I want it, right? That's our initial response. There is the pride. There is the arrogance. Well, let's continue reading verse 25. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, referring to Jesus, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. Now we need to look at a word here, the word discussion here in the original language in the Greek. So if I was to say, Wayne and I are going to have a discussion after church about music. In your mind, you would say, okay, Jason and Wayne are going to get together and just have a discussion about music. No harm, no foul, no fighting, no arguing. Right, Wayne? We would be good, right? Yeah. This word discussion in the Greek actually is a little bit more intense. It means to have a forceful, expressing forceful difference between your opinions. It's a dispute. Now, if you understand that in the Greek, John's disciples are now coming to John. They have issue with what's happening with Jesus across the river. A dispute, a discussion. So they're up in arms about Jesus' ministry. So we need to put that in our minds, in the, in the context here, in the text. So what does that look like? What, what, what are John's disciples or his staff members saying? So if we were to put it in 2,000 years removed, the vernacular of what we would look at as a church, here's what they're saying. John, more people are going to Jesus' church. Right? Jesus' is bigger. Jesus ministry is bigger than yours. He's getting all the attention. Does that sound familiar? Sure it does. Pride. Let's look at another passage of Scripture and dealing with pride. I want to keep reminding us of what the Bible says about pride. pride Proverbs 29, 23. One's pride will, go, will bring him low, but he who is lowly as spirit will obtain honor. You may, may, may be asked, what, what are you talking about, Pastor? So what is the big deal here? But I want us to see this particular scenario. Something was off. And we need to learn, turn to John chapter 4. Verses 1 and 2, to see that the disciples, John's disciples, had this wrong. John 4, 1, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize only his disciples, his, John's disciples, his staff members, his crew, made an assumption of Jesus' ministry. You say, 
Huh. Because it tells us that Jesus was not baptizing. His disciples were. Do you know where assuming gets us in our world? How about assumption? Think of the word assumption. His disciples, trying to get John to think, oh yeah, Jesus is, he's, he's over there doing this without having the facts of what's going on. How does that hurt us today in our ministries? What about us in ministry? Jealousy sets in. Pride comes out in the worst way. We get upset when someone outshines us in the area of work, in the area of ministry, young people, in the area of school. Bitterness, bitterness sets in, doesn't it? All on assuming. Church, what about assuming? What does it do for the church? When you assume something of someone, well, dissension, division, conflict come into our midst. And it's not promoting the unity of Christ within his body. What the scripture tells, look what the psalmist says in Psalms 133.1. He says this, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity, being of one mind. What Peter told the church in 1 Peter 3.8, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. That word unity there in the Greek means being like-minded of similar things. We can read that unity in Acts 2 and Acts 4. When the church came together, they were of one heart and one mind pursuing the purpose of Christ. Church, we are delusional if we think that there is a perfect church. Faith Bible Church is not perfect. (gasps) Right? Did he just say that? Listen, if you think you're finding the perfect church and you're perfect and you think you're trying to find that perfect church, when you join it, it becomes imperfect. Because there is no perfect church. Why? Because your staff, your pastoral staff, your deacons were flawed. Just like humanity. We will make mistakes. We will have conflict in church. We will assume and we will have to work through those conflicts to get the facts, to get the story straight. It's kind of like the, the picture of a family. Who has the perfect family here? Raise your hand. Okay. okay. All right, Dave. I want to join your family there. Because our family's not perfect. Believe you me, it's just not perfect. You think about the time when we got married, you know, our kids, and you think about your own family, you think about the conflicts you've had just being married and raising kids. You're like, yeah, there's a, man, there's a lot of things we had to work through. Or myself growing up with a brother two years younger than me, driving down the road in our 1976 Ford Maverick. You older guys remember what car? That was a hot car back in the day. No, ours was a family car, so it wasn't a hot car. All right, I'm glad I didn't have to drive that when I was 16. But what, young people, you don't know the pain and the agony we had to, had to endure sitting in the back of the seat of a car, not having any devices in front of us, no DVD players. We had the privilege of just licking the windows and writing stuff on it. That's what we did. Or, guess what? We picked on our brother, and that's what we did. Trying to get away from my dad, reaching in the backseat, trying to grab one of us to do something to us. When I got out of the car that day, and many times that it happened, did I say, I'm done with this family? You know what? You're an idiot, Brent. I don't like you. I want a new family. Dad, I'm done. I'm walking away. Yeah, eight years old, that would work out pretty well. (laughs) No, but we resolve the conflict. We resolve the issues because we're family. Brothers and sisters, and it's it's not a mistake we're talking about this because in the next next series we're going to talk about next week is this idea of the church and church membership and this idea is the family of the church. We need to know how to resolve conflict with one another. We are, we are brothers and sisters in Christ that need to, re- just like your family, 
Now, maybe not with the crazy drunk uncle that shows up every 10 years at a family reunion. I understand there are those relatives. All right, but we as the church, we need to learn how not to be those, uh, operate in assumption. Understand the facts. When things happen, like John the Baptist's disciples, they were not ap- operating under facts. They were assuming, hey, well, they're over there doing so. They're doing what we're doing here, John. Assumption kills Families, kills relationships. Think of some uh, family illustration in Genesis chapter 13. Abraham and Lot. We know that was a big issue. The herdsmen of Abraham, the herdsmen of Lot, they weren't getting along. So what did Abraham do? All right, Lot, listen. You pick land, you go, I'll go the opposite direction. We think of Acts chapter 15. Paul had a conflict with who? Barnabas over the, bringing John Mark along as a missionary. Well, we know that they separated. Paul ended up getting Silas. And Barnabas took John Mark. And guess what happened? When you read through the history book of the church in Acts, guess what? Paul and Barnabas end up connecting again and resolving that conflict of difference with each other. Church, let's not be that individual, that group of people that assume. That's where relationships get ruined. Let's get the facts. Jesus tells us in the Gospels, Matthew chapter 5. I mentioned this verse a couple weeks ago. When you come to church, or in that text, when you come to the temple and you have a sacrifice and an offering, what did Jesus tell the individuals to do? Lay your offering down, go make things right with your brother and sister, then come back and worship. And with a crowd this size, I bet you, and having a close family relation that we do have here at Faith Bible, I bet you there's probably some conflict here with individuals amongst each other. Did you make those things right with each other? Because if you're here worshiping and you did not, guess what? Your worship is in vain. I'm I'm, I'm just, I'm just, that's what the scripture tells us. Our hearts have got to be one with one another. Jesus is saying, listen, go make things right. Matthew 18 is a passive scripture we go to with dealing with church discipline. And yes, that's the the bigger picture of it, but there's, there's another part of this that Jesus wants us to resolve our differences, to make things right. What's it say there in Matthew 18? If your brother and sister offend you, if he sins against you, go talk to them. That's the part we don't like. Well, you know, I just, I, I assume that they, no, stop assuming, get the facts, and guess what? Conflict will be resolved. Because what's it say there in Matthew 18? Guess what? They can become a brother. They can become a sister when you get things Right. I like what Pastor Skip Isaac says. He says this, The church is not perfect. However, we are a society of redeemed people who express their spirituality through human personality. Say, what does that mean? It means we are a tainted faucet. We cannot do anything without Christ. We cannot resolve conflict without the Spirit of Christ in us. So you think you're going to try to resolve? No, we need Christ. Christ wants unity. We go to Christ. Christ help us, helps us resolve those conflicts. Why? Because we are using his word of how to resolve those things. Brothers, let's not be like John's disciples and his staff members who were assuming, who could have caused a lot of trouble in John's ministry. Many times we're no different. So hopefully you have the picture here. This conversation is a dispute. It's turned into an argument per the text. But I want us to notice how John responds here. John, again, another situation. We, we, he, if there's any guy that could have had pride and arrogance and, and could have said, yeah, hey, what about what's going on over there? It could have been John. But John answers here in verses 27 through 30 in the most spiritual way, in the most mature way spiritually. And this is a great picture of how we need to handle ourselves when we may be presented in the temptation of pride. Let's look at his mature response here in verses 27 through 30. And John answered, 
A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before me. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. This morning, I want us like this, to look at this, these statements from John the Baptist as he is directing his disciples of what they need to do. We're going to see four principles, I think, that are important that we can add to our life when we are tempted in the area of pride. See, pride is that cancerous sin. It just eats us inside. So let's see how John relates to them. First, we see John having, number one is this, the first principle this morning, John has a proper theology. John has a proper theology. Look at verse 22. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. In this statement and statement alone, John is telling his followers, God is in control. Whatever we have, whatever position we have, comes from God. We mentioned this a few weeks ago. If you look at Romans chapter 11, Verses 34 and 36, what did Paul tell the Christians in Rome? For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? If you don't have it underlined or highlighted, 36 is key. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Everything good comes from God. Everything that we, everything that happens, God allows to happen for a reason. There's nothing that surprises God. John's saying, listen, whatever comes from God, whatever we're at, it comes from heaven. He had a proper theology. I, I love what Nebuchadnezzar said in Daniel 4 verse 35 when he was spending seven years as the, a beast of the field, if we remember that story. God really got a hold of his heart. And he says this in Daniel 4 35, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? God is God, and he does as he pleases. John had a proper theology of who God was. So let me ask us some questions this morning. Do we live out the reality of who God is in our life? When people look at your life, they say, yeah, I mean, he's... He's a follower of Christ. I mean, he, 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 he believes, he has faith in his God. How about when, when we respond to tragedy or circumstances that are out of our control and we just kind of, Puff, here we go again. Or do we have the theology that John had? Hey, whatever happens comes from God and we just must trust and rest in that fact. Parents, let me, let me just ask you this. Where do you think John learned his theology from? Well, we know what Scripture says about Zechariah and Elizabeth. In fact, John is on this earth because of the persistency of prayer to God in the moment of their impossibility. Probably 12, 15 years old, uh, scholars believe he probably went into the wilderness, so he lived under his parents' roof for about 15 years. Do you think he noticed his parents living out their theology of who God is? So parents, I want to challenge you this morning when things happen in your life good and bad, what are we showing our kids about our theology? Do we complain? Up here, I know God, I don't know what God's doing in our life here. You know, this is just really stinks, you know. Even in blessing, look what God has done for us. God has provided this for us. Let's sit and thank him for who he is. 
You're teaching your kids proper theology. The second principle we learn from John the Baptist, not just he had proper theology. Number two, he had a proper understanding. Look at verse 28. He had a proper understanding. You yourself bear me witness, and I say, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. See, John states again that he is not the Christ, but he is the voice to prepare the way. So church, let me ask you some questions on this particular principle. Do you understand what your role is as a believer here on earth? I know you, oh, here we go. Pastor Frank is twisting his arm again to talk about evangelism. Well, Pastor Frank didn't write this book. I didn't write this book. What is our purpose as Christians? It is to, Matthew 20, 19, 20, go make disciples, to baptize. Acts 1, 8, to be witnesses where you're at. He understood his role. John understood his role as preparer. Let me ask you this question. Do you question where you're at in life and the position you hold at your job, students, at the school you're at, in your neighborhood? I just hate my neighborhood. I, know, I get it. You may have the neighbors that's like the Griswold who probably painted their house green for St. Patty's Day. I get it. You might have that crazy neighbor. You may go to a school young people you don't like. You don't like teachers. I, I get it. You may have a job that you absolutely can't stand. But God has you there for a purpose. God has you there for a reason. And we have a proper theology. We'll have a proper understanding of why God. And it might be even in a situation where you put on yourself and you made a bad decision and you're here. That's no surprise to God. God has you there to fulfill his will and purpose. So why don't we join him in his ministry? Okay, God, who do you want me to touch today? Okay, I'll go out and take some green cupcakes to my neighbor who decorated her house for St. Patty's Day, right? What is our understanding, the proper understanding of who you are? I had a, a really, really mind-blowing experience this week, and it, it actually, when, it's funny how when you prepare a lesson, God a lot, a lot of times teaches you lessons through uh, what you're going to teach. And so for all that, you know, we have a, a, a faith-bound basketball ministry here for the community. And this particular season has just been a little crazy with administration and ki- guys canceling teams. And it was just fighting. You know, we, we honored D.J. Campbell, who was the All-American from Stock University. Well, they're fighting over who's going to get him on a team, which I, I agree. I mean, I would want him on my team, too. But we have some rules. And, like, they're not going against the rules. And I asked Heidi and Pastor Frank. There's times I came in the office. My head was just, leave Jason alone. Let him go back to his office. I'm going to go just punch the punching bag or whatever, right? And I, was, I just had it. I was up in my office at home, and I was, sometimes I'd practice preaching. Judy would hear me downstairs. I came down for lunch. She goes, wow, you're really preaching to yourself pretty loud. No, I was yelling at someone on the phone, all right? I, just, I, just, I, I had enough. Well, 15 minutes later, I got this text, and I, I, I put the text in my notes from the guy who we had that discussion on the phone. It was a Greek discussion, <laughs> And it put me in my place to understand my role and my understanding of what, why we do what we do here. And so the text says this. This is, and I'll call him John. Is John says, John again. I don't want you to think negative of me. I love what you guys do for us. It was just a misunderstanding. I appreciate you, and I love you for that. Sorry for the inconvenience. I sat there. I was like, ah, Jason, you're an idiot. 
because I'm here studying this, and what is our purpose as a community with our ministries? It's making connections with people. It's not putting on a perfect ministry. It's not having the best competition in this particularly. It's just connecting with these guys. I had to learn a hard lesson in myself. Do I truly understand? Do I have the proper understanding in the ministries that I'm involved with here at church? What is our end game? For you, what is your, un- what is your understanding of where you're at, at your job? at your home, with your kids. Why does God have you there? Join him in that ministry. It's his ministry. John had a proper theology of who God was. John had a proper understanding of the role he had to promote Jesus. But thirdly, we see that John had a proper attitude. Look at verse 29. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice, Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Look at that attitude John has. He's telling his, his disciples who are trying to start a little trouble here about Jesus' ministry. And as the role is the preparer and the pointer, he this could have been a moment of jealousy for John. This could have been, pride could have set in. But what's it say? He rejoiced knowing Jesus was doing what he had come to do. And he uses the illustration of a wedding. He's like the, the best man. For us that have been married, we understand that in my wedding, I had a best man. I was his best man at his wedding. What's a best man do? He glories. He's praying. Look, I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy. You you hear the speech at the reception. Man, you have a great husband. He's going to help and take care of you. You're promoting. You're making that that groom look great. Why, you're the best man. You never see a a, a best man at a wedding like, this is stupid. Here's your rings. Man, I wish I was getting married. Well, unless he at some one point dated your soon-to-be wife. But anyway, he probably wouldn't be your best man. All right? He promotes the groom. John's saying that here. How is your attitude when someone eclipses your moment in the sun and outshines you at, jo- at your job, in ministry? How do you respond? See, John could be at this point here in ministry. Well, I think our experience and our struggles that we have, the way we respond, nine times out of ten, is probably not a biblical way to respond, if you were like me. Church, listen, we need to rejoice when others succeed in ministry, when others succeed at work, when others succeed in life in general. We see John here rejoicing. My joy is complete because my job here, I know what my job is. I'm here pushing people to Jesus. It's okay that everyone's following him. That's what's supposed to happen. My joy is done. What an attitude to have. Paul mentions this to the church in Romans 12, 3. He says this, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. You have an underline, underline it. That is a powerful statement. Don't think yourself better than someone else. That's what pride does. Pride wants us to do that. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. In the context here in Romans chapter 12, this is actually, going to. if we continue reading, if we had the time, he would now talk about some of the spiritual gifts. This is talking about the church. Don't think yourselves better than someone else. Brothers and sisters, we need to have the proper attitude with our brothers and sisters who succeed and excel in areas of ministry. When we were cleaning up the church and just getting areas ready for construction and things, the, Pastor Frank and I found some you know, big, the old, big old plaques 
that you, that get church used to give to people who serve for many years, you know, to the honorable so-and-so who served, you know, 100 years as the Sunday school superintendent, you know, those, those, those plaques, oh, they're, they're great, they had great meaning, but what happens when someone outshines you in ministry? What are they getting that for? I do this better. Ah, whoa, 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 what's, what's Paul say here? He says, don't think of yourself more highly than others. Remember, we need to be unified. What is our purpose? What is our goal? It's to glorify Christ. It's to promote Him. Why do we need to fight and have conflicts amongst each other in the area of ministries? We need to have a proper attitude just like John had. But we see fourthly as we close. Our fourth principle this morning is this. John had a proper relationship. Look at verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase, I must decrease. You remember the stories you read in history or you might watch older movies that dealt with the kingships of, our, of, of the world's time and history. What was a king's herald? What was his job? What did a king herald do? Well, first he dressed weird. You know, they dressed weird with all the pomp and circumstance. What, what, but what did they do? They announced the king. Bum, 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 bum. I present to you the great and honorable King George III. And what happens? After he was done, he exhorted and he, he, he exited and he went back to eat cookies back in the green room. Now he was done. His job was completed. He didn't come back, wait, 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 king, I got, I got something else to say. No. His job was done. John the Baptist was declaring his whole time of ministry, again, as we have learned, was declaring what God was doing, what Jesus was going to do, not him. He must increase, we, he must, I must decrease, John said. See, John sets before us a beautiful example of how we need to respond when pride tries to creep in. In his theology, in his understanding, in his attitude, in his relationship, it was all about preparing the people that this is who you're going to follow, not me. If there's one thing we can learn, What's the word we said I want you to remember about John the Baptist? It begins with an H. <gasps> humility. The word's up on the screen. Remember, humility, being humble. John, this is what we learn with John. And Paul, Paul tells us in Colossians 3.12, he tells us to put this on. He tells the church of Colossae to put this on. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Put on. Tomorrow, today with your kids, put on humility. John had every chance to promote his ministry, get to, to make his following greater. But he was about putting Jesus first. John knew his mission. He knew his pur purpose. Remember he said in John 1, there he is, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That was his whole mo mo motive for being on earth, to push people to Jesus. So church, let us take these principles May we have the proper theology of who God is. May we live this out in our life, that he is sovereign. No matter what happens in our life, God is sovereign. He knows beginning and nothing you're going through surprises him. Parents, teach your kids that theology at home. May they see us living that out when God does something in our life good or when we go through struggle and trade. Promote, hey, God is sovereign. God has a plan. Church, we need to have a proper understanding. Yes, we're here to be a light of Christ, Matthew chapter 5. You're the light of the world, a city that is set and that cannot be hid. That's our job. Promote Jesus in the way we live and what we speak, proclaim the gospel. 
Let us have the proper attitude. Brothers and sisters, as the church, as we come together, we're not a perfect church. But understand, we need to be glad and be happy when other people succeed in ministry. When other people are promoted, maybe you had that ministry for years. It's okay. It's okay. Let me, I'll help you. Come alongside and be unified. Have the proper attitude. And understand, whatever we do in ministry, whatever we do in our life, have the proper relationship, meaning he must increase, I must decrease. Whatever gifts and abilities God has given you, we give him glory for it. We don't take glory. Oh, look, what a great singer. I'm. Look, look at this ministry. Look, look what I'm doing here. No, 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 no. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. And so let's put those four principles into practice as we go on through our week. Wherever you're at, think of John the Baptist. Put on humility. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all that you've done for us. Lord, um, just head bows, eyes closed for a moment. Just want to just ask some questions as we close out here um, this, this morning. How are you doing in the area of, of, of pride? How are you doing in the area of, 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 of humility? Again, Paul, Paul told us in Colossians 3 to put on, put on humility. I want you to go home this week. I want you to kind of just kind of think about John the Baptist and how we can put on these things. We can encourage other brothers and sisters and, and, and that are succeeding and rejoice with them. That's, I know that's an area that I think we all struggle with. When we see someone succeeding in ministry or work, give them a compliment. That's where humility begins. That's putting on humility. Oh, may we live like John the Baptist in that way, promoting people, pointing people, and preparing people to meet Jesus. Lord, thank you again for your word and all that we learned. Give us a great day with our friends, with our family. Give us a great week at work. And thank you so much, God, for giving us life to live. He has this in your son's holy and precious name. Amen. So at this moment, we just like to just dismiss those. If you're visiting, we are, we are so glad you're here. We hope you can come back next week as we start a new series on the church. And we'd love for you to join us. But if you're visiting, you're welcome to go at this time. We just have a little bit of a family meeting. We need to discuss a membership issue. So we'll give about one or two minutes, and we'll let you go. Again, good seeing you. Hope you can join us next week. Members, just continue to stay, um, and uh, we'll walk through that issue.